You live in a gated community. It's called a gated community. In the gay community. I just want us to have an open conversation, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, anybody. I want this to be a safe space for everyone. Racism is alive and well in the gay community. The gay community. Gay community as us as a trans community. Who is having that conversation? What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Gated Community Podcast. I appreciate you for listening. Tonight, I want to touch on the taboo subject of HIV and AIDS. But before I do, I want to start with this because I never understood why people who are so adamant about staying on top of their physical health are the same ones to dismiss the maintenance of their mental health. Mental health is actually a thing. Like it's actually a thing. Many tend to associate mental health with weakness or mental illness, which is theoretically the same as declining your physical with your PCP or your primary care physician because of the risk of the common code or something like psoriasis. Gays, amongst others, are at the higher risk for the mental instability because they face more obstacles than the average person. That's not giving us clout. That's just giving you facts. (laughs) And they tend to carry their suppression and subconsciously lash it out to others instead of getting treated for it. Acceptance, denial, rejection, homophobia, self-loathing, promiscuity, HIV. These are all things that gays deal with daily. And I'm willing to bet that we've all intimately dealt with at least one person who suffered from at least one of those connotations. I mean, on some level, we're all a little broken, right? But there are so many more who are shattered. Getting help with mental health does not make anyone less of a person. Nutrition should be fed to the body and the mind. And for anyone diagnosed with HIV and or AIDS, the intake of mental nutrition never stops. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health in general or because of an HIV AIDS diagnosis, please email me at thegatedc at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-G-A-Y-T-E-D, the letter C is in Charlie, at gmail.com. Or write me at 7111, that's 7111, Santa Monica Boulevard, Suite B is in Boy, 402, West Hollywood, California, 90046. Stonewall. It's not a coincidence that once gay bars became mainstream and gays demanded unconditional acceptance for human equality, the AIDS virus miraculously appeared, theoretically speaking. Homosexuals didn't start having sex in the 60s. The preceding times were saturated in the element of fear. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover is a prime example of how a gay man carried himself in that era. And he was white and privileged. Our presence was and is such a threat that the only way to beat us was to kill us. Our population increased and so did our demand for respect. To combat the phobia, the LGBT community unionized in the name of activism. Activists, groups like ACT UP, the Gay Men's Health Crisis, the Lesbian AIDS Project, and the NAMES Project just to name a few, emerged and refused to be ignored. They shared a common theory. To exterminate homophobia by coming out. They thought the root cause of homophobia was that people didn't know other people who were gay. And if more people came out, then they would be seen as people and not as unnatural stereotypes. It was rough, but they were tenacious. To be openly gay in the 40s and 50s was like closing your eyes and wishing for death before blowing out a candle. Secrecy was detrimental for safety and instrumental in proving that same-sex attraction is no disease. The gay disease. In the early 80s, AIDS became known as a gay disease. And the gay community was hit the hardest. Human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, is a virus that weakens a person's immune system by attacking cells that fight off infection, specifically a person's CD4 cells. 
It was originally called GRID, which stood for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency. Where did it come from? There will forever be a debate about if the disease was manufactured or if it was the result of cross-contamination between human and a chimpanzee in Central Africa, where an infected monkey has contact with an uninfected monkey or animal who contracts the virus, then encounters or is consumed by a human. And if the virus is then spread by other humans, it causes an outbreak once the virus mutates and advances into HIV, or in this case, an epidemic. Reportedly, it seemed as though the LGBT community had higher rates of contracting and spreading the disease, and because of this, all other demographics were simultaneously dismissed as recipients and transmitters. This propagated a litany of misinformation across the nation where the mainstream media willfully expressed the false narrative that if you're not homosexual and or a Black man, your chances of contracting the virus are slim to none. We never stood a chance. The government played a minor part in pushing this false narrative. The Ronald Reagan administration deliberately ignored the effects of the disease and intentionally failed to act because he and others deemed it, quote unquote, a gay disease. With that idea being embedded in the mind of millions of people nationwide, back then and even today, there's a heavy influential presence of those who believe that contracting HIV AIDS cannot happen to heterosexuals, when in fact, Statistics show that Black women account for the highest percentage of new HIV infections. While new infections for Black women declined 21% from 2010 to 2016, they still accounted for 6 in 10 new HIV infections. And although HIV AIDS is predominantly transmitted sexually, it can also be spread when drug addicts share dirty needles. Be clear, the opioid heroin epidemic is just as monumental and deadly as the HIV AIDS epidemic, though it's more of a microcosm inside of the HIV epidemic. The Reagan administration single-handedly perpetuated the demise of life, people dying at home in their beds, dying of malnourishment in hospitals because nurses and doctors were afraid to be in the same room with AIDS patients to feed them. No thanks to the fear-mongering pushed by the media. People dying because of the prejudicial discrimination cast by politics, working with pharmaceutical companies to place a slow pace on the manufacturing of medication to help the suffering. But the pharmaceutical companies had a dog in this fight too. While they've been working to advance medication to help patients live longer lives, they also cashed in on the opportunity to cash out. Because most pharmaceutical companies are private companies, they have the discretion to put a price tag on medication. Their high prices can make it nearly impossible to obtain with or without insurance, or they can give the meds a sticker price that can be affordable with insurance. Because when the demand is high, so is the price. This is the United States of America, where capitalism always prevails. AIDS crisis. Unlike most other viruses, when a person contracts HIV, they have it for life because the human body cannot fight off the virus entirely. HIV, however, can be controlled and its progression can be slowed significantly. Here are the three stages of HIV. The first is acute HIV infection. The second, clinical latency or HIV inactivity or dormancy. And the third is AIDS. Preventing HIV infection has fallen off the priority list, both in funding and individual action. And new infections are increasingly showing up in forms that are very hard to treat because the strains of HIV spreading today are more likely to be resistant to those $75 a year treatments. Drug resistance forces the use of more expensive medicines and the supply chain for second and third line treatments in poorer countries is minimal, in some cases non-existent. 
When an individual is infected with a strain of HIV that is already resistant to available drugs, all aspects of the patient's treatment and survival are affected. Bill and Melinda Gates, Bill Gates. <laughs> so the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation found anywhere from 6 to 11% of new infections involved drug-resistant forms of HIV. In 2017, failure rates due to the drug resistance were as high as 90% in some countries, meaning new infections in those regions could no longer be controlled with the $75 a year first-line therapies. So if drug resistance continues to rise at its current alarming pace, the majority of infections by 2025 will defy first-line affordable treatments. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation projects a deeply disturbing possibility that presents itself as the emergence of a second AIDS pandemic surging out of Africa's most densely populated cities, riding the wave of a youth-dominated population boom and built atop an already existent base of tens of millions of currently infected adults. If their theory is proven to be true, then such a pandemic would dwarf the scale of today's AIDS crisis. But again, this is the theory of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I don't know about you, but for me, anything that Bill Gates touches, I automatically question, become inquisitive and uh, tend to believe that there's more that lies beneath the surface. I automatically become skeptical and distrustful. I mean, the man is the co-founder of Microsoft. He's a software engineer who innovated society with software programs for computers. Okay, let's just think about that for a sec. Computers. He also produced malware or malicious software for computers, then capitalized off of the antivirus software used to protect computers from malware. Layman's terms, it's like creating a virus, let's just say the coronavirus. It's like if you created coronavirus, then produce vaccinations that are used to prevent or treat the coronavirus. Now, before you deem me a conspiracy theorist, ask yourself this. Why is a software engineer so invested in medical business treatments, vaccines, immunizations, and drug-resistant medication like HIV, AIDS, and even the coronavirus. Why? Statistics. Demographics are also contributing to the resurgence of AIDS. Sub-Saharan Africa's population is growing at the fastest rate on Earth, projected to increase by 50% to 1.8 billion. That's with a B. People in 2035 and 2.1 billion, also with a B, like Bill Gates and his sinister plot. I mean, 2.1 billion by mid-century. The total African population is forecast to top 2.5 billion people by the year 2050. According to the World Health Organization, or WHO, there are about 37.9 million people in the world living with HIV as of 2018. The prevalence of HIV in adults ages 15 to 29, it's like from your teenage years to your young adult years, is estimated at about 0.8% of the world's population. In the United States, based on the most recent information from the CDC, about 1.14 million Americans had HIV at the end of 2016. About one in seven of those with the virus are unaware that they have it. In 2018, 37,832 people received an HIV diagnosis. Again, this is according to the CDC. Amongst those, 42% were Black or African-American. 
27% were Hispanic or Latino, and 25% were white. See how they just be trying to hold a black man down? Why we got to have the highest percentage? 42% were black or... Okay, digressing. Also, among the new diagnoses, 69% were among gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. 24% were among heterosexuals, and 7% were among people who inject drugs. Here's a little bit of ranking for you, starting with California. California has the highest number of people living with HIV of 128,153, a rate of 389.7 people with HIV per 100,000 residents. Of those living with HIV in California, the largest group is white with 48,155 people. And the second largest is Hispanic Latino with 48,029. The runner-up is New York with the second highest number of people living with HIV of 126,495, a rate of 760.2 per 100,000 people. This rate is more than double that of California's. The largest group living with HIV in New York is Black, African, American, there they go again, trying to hold us down, with 47,164 people living with the virus. Florida ranks third, Texas fourth, and Georgia ranks fifth with 52,528 people living with HIV, a rate of 608.8 per 100,000. This is the fifth highest in the country. A majority of those infected with the virus are Black, African-American, totaling 35,974. Legislation. In his State of the Union, Donald Trump reportedly planned to have his administration work to reduce the spread of HIV. It was a noble goal. But forgive me for experiencing some whiplash and skepticism after watching Trump and Pence spend years undermining the work of advocates. With the promises large, the Trump-Pence administration needed their actions to speak louder than their words. Instead, their actions have hindered the progress of HIV and AIDS prevention, treatment, and awareness. The Trump-Pence administration has worked to cut Medicaid funding, to undermine the Affordable Care Act, and to license discrimination against at-risk communities when they seek care. And that doesn't begin to describe every other attack they've hurled at the LGBTQ community, Black and Latino communities, who are disproportionately impacted by the HIV epidemic and face significant barriers to health care. The American public deserves a real commitment from their government to end the HIV epidemic. Pence oversaw the worst outbreak of HIV and AIDS in the state's history due to his refusal to lift the ban on needle exchange programs in his time as governor of Indiana. He also repeatedly called for the defunding of Planned Parenthood at the detriment of HIV AIDS prevention. And let's not forget Trump's historic ignorance on HIV. Reportedly, Bill Gates... There go, that, there go that bill again. There go Bill. Y'all see Bill? Bill staying something. What you doing now, Bill? Bill Gates had to explain to Donald the difference between HIV and HPV. Not once, but twice. And he still slashed more than $1.1 billion from international HIV prevention programs, tried to preserve licenses to discriminate for healthcare providers under the Department of Health and Human Services, and has said more than a handful of other ignorant comments throughout his time in office. You might ask why I'm mentioning the Trump-Pence administration now that Biden holds the most powerful position in the world. 
Well, that's because in addition to the interception of procured funding and housing and prevention and physical and mental health care, the destruction, discrimination and exclusion of the eradication of HIV AIDS continue to prevail. Those things didn't concede when Trump did. It's been inherited by the Biden-Harris administration, and the epidemic is still as resounding as it was when their predecessors were in office. It's time we hold them to more than empty promises and demand a meaningful commitment to end the epidemic once and for all, even amid the COVID pandemic. Besides, when on campaign trails, these are the challenges that are promised to be rectified when you ask we the people to elect you as the president of the United States. Treatment. Let's talk about prep. Oh, let's talk about sex for now. To the people at home or in the crowd. It keeps coming up anyhow. So PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. PrEP is a prescription medication that you take every day before you come in contact with HIV to help reduce the risk of getting it. PrEP is for people who are at risk for getting HIV through sex, for people who are HIV negative. PrEP is indicated in at-risk adults and adolescents to reduce the risk of sexually acquired HIV-1 infection, excluding individuals at risk from receptive vaginal sex. HIV-1, HIV-1 negative status must be confirmed immediately prior to initiation. There is a limitation of use. PrEP is not indicated in individuals at risk of HIV-1 from receptive vaginal sex because effectiveness in this population has not been evaluated. Also, PrEP is not like a plan B, used in emergencies, like if a condom breaks. It's not a one-time only strategy. In other words, don't take PrEP for one sexual encounter. Stop taking it and expect for it to be effective. Also, it's not a prevention method for any other sexually transmitted infections. And most importantly, it is not for people living with HIV. Obviously, I'm no doctor. So please talk to your doctor about starting PrEP for HIV prevention and consider condoms and abstinence. Take it old school. There are also many medications that can be taken to treat HIV, but it can never be cured. Not as of now. Again, get tested and consult with your doctor about prevention and treatment. If you can't afford medication for treatment, your doctor may pair you with a caseworker who can get you covered and may even get your medication for free for you under the Ryan White program or a program called ADAP, which stands for AIDS Drug Assistance Program. But why do I sound like I'm reading a statement for an advertisement? This is not an ad. This is not being sponsored. Button, however, ADAP, and what else did I say? Uh, Ryan White, ADAP, if you're listening to this. I am accepting sponsors. A few of the big pharma companies have an HIV vaccine in the works. mRNA is setting its technology on a new complex target. Moderna is taking aim at HIV. There is a, a, a chance on paper you could develop a so-called universal vaccine that would recognize maybe not all, but a lot of strains of HIV. The challenge is, unlike coronavirus, HIV has tens of thousands of mutations every day, which makes it difficult to design one vaccine for thousands of different variations of the HIV virus. Putting it simply, HIV is mutating so quickly, it's hard to show the immune system what to look for. And a successful vaccine would need to prompt a broad range of antibodies that stick to multiple parts of the virus that causes AIDS. Like the coronavirus vaccine spike protein, creating the HIV vaccine means inducing antibodies against the spike protein 
to prevent the virus from infecting your cells. But the spike protein on HIV viruses is much more devious. Because HIV has millions of strains, antibodies against one HIV spike will not block another HIV spike. So look, don't think of HIV as one virus. Think of it as 50 million different viruses living throughout the world right now. With that being understood, scientists are currently working to elicit antibodies that bind to specific patches on a spike that don't change. Or if they do vary, it's not by very much. With more antibodies that bind to a spike, there's more cell coverage to protect. Once that box is checked, scientists and doctors will work and are working to strengthen the protein within the vaccine. As it stands, the vaccine will be given in stages, requiring multiple shots, but the protein in the vac isn't strong enough to make the vaccine effective. It'd be like taking Tylenol for broken leg pain. This vaccine has been in the works for years. Now in stage two of clinical trials, the study sets the stage for additional clinical trials that will seek to refine and extend the approach with the long-term goal of creating a safe and effective HIV vaccine. So stay tuned for that. I know that was a lot of like medical and scientific talk, and I really hope I didn't bore you to sleep. So look, if you've listened this far, I really hope there's a part of you that has and or will become more empathetic when it comes to who you are and how you treat others. This doesn't mean leading with commiseration, but consideration doesn't hurt. HIV AIDS, status shaming, dating deal breakers, exposing someone's status, acting as if they're contagious, using their positive status as leverage, deeming it a gay disease. Believing that you're too good to date someone who's positive, marry or love someone who happens to be HIV positive, these things hit a little different when it's not you until it becomes you or someone you love. I personally happen to have many friends who uh, are HIV positive, um, and I just so happen to know of many people who are HIV positive, and the shaming that they experience is, it's really not good. It's really not cool. I feel like there's some of the strongest people that I know just having to deal with everything that encompasses having the virus, living with the virus, how it could be life-changing, how it could really affect your mental health and your mental stability. And I really admire them for their strength. One thing I am curious about is when they feel like it's necessary to disclose their HIV status to their partner or to someone that they might be dating, someone that they just might be having sex with. Um, And I've gotten answers on both ends of the spectrum. One of my friends, he told me that he lets people know right away. Like he lets guys know right away. I have another friend um, who I'm relatively close to who feels like it's not something that should be shared up front. It's something that's personal and they are healthy enough not to transmit or pass the disease to anyone else because of the medication that they're taking. This is known as being undetectable, which basically put means that you do not have enough of the HIV virus in your blood or in your body to transmit it to anyone else sexually. And I can re- I can respect both sides, honestly. It's not really my place to tell anyone else what to do with their body or what not to do with it or what 
to share with others. Also, it's not my place to judge anyone for not being transparent upfront. Either way, at the end of the day, I think it's really important not to treat people as if something is wrong with him if you just happen to learn that they are HIV positive. Because we all have like a lot to deal with on a daily basis in our personal lives. And I just think that they might have, I feel like they might have a little bit more to deal with than others. So just be nice to people and don't be fucking assholes. It's called a gated community. I'm in a gated community. All the gays are alive. We live in a gated community. African people are not pro-homosexual. Who is having that conversation? 